with Miss Marla and Miss Steph. And for all those here in the sanctuary and online, I invite you, if you have a Bible, to open it to the book of Hebrews, to Hebrews chapter 2. We're going to be looking at uh, three different passages this morning in the book of Hebrews. We'll begin in Hebrews chapter 2. There are sermon notes in your, in your bulletins uh, to follow along, and there'll be more detailed notes that will be on uh, the screen if you would desire to fill those in. Uh, But today we are continuing this series, as I said, in the announcement time, uh, this 40 days of prayer. And today we we talked last week about reawakening to the glory of Christ. And this morning we're talking about reawakening to the life, death, and resurrection of Christ. And I don't normally do it this way, but I think there's a lot of value. There are uh, sermon outlines that our denomination has put out, and then we get to personalize it and um, add to it. Uh, But um, to be able to follow along with what everyone in our uh, Alliance family is doing, I I see great value in that. Uh, So this morning's sermon outline is done by Dr. Steve Grusendorf. And uh, so... Thank him for his work on that. We look forward to working through these passages in Hebrews together, looking at reawakening to the life, death, and resurrection of Christ. Right around the uh, turn of the year, from 2021 to 2022, um, an article in Time Magazine online caught my attention. caught my eye. It was the top 10 threats that the U.S. faces in the new year. I know. Why would your eye be caught to that? I don't know. My eye was caught to it. So I read through it. And uh, boy, I tell you what, it was enough to give anyone despair, anxiety, worry, or fear. Because as he went through the top 10 uh, things that the U.S. here, we have uh, to uh, be worried about top 10 threats, things like COVID, which we are more than aware about, the political division in our country. You see China and its aggression on Taiwan. What will that do? You see Russia and its aggression on Ukraine. Uh, we feel the effects every day of inflation. We feel the effects of the supply chain issues. And, and those are just a few of them. And so you read through all those and you're like, oh man, life's a little crazy right now. We all know it, but when you read it and you kind of go through and process each one of those one by one, it's enough to make anyone go, oh, man. And so when we think about that, and you kind of think of a, a picture of a ship or a boat that's out in the middle of a sea in stormy waters, that ship is going to be tossed to and fro by the waves and the wind and the storm unless, unless it has an anchor Unless it has an anchor to be able to anchor it in the midst of the storm. Only a ship that is anchored while being tossed to and fro will endure. And so in the Christian life, you and I need an anchor. Hebrews 6 in your bulletin, there's a little scripture on that left-hand side of the bulletin. Hebrews 6.19 that we have this hope as an anchor for our soul. That as we reawaken to the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, it's a fresh opportunity for us to learn how the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, how he is an anchor for our soul in the midst of the storms. And how we can also anchor ourselves better to Jesus. Finding hope in his life, hope in his death, hope in his resurrection, 
And then to lean into him, to make him that anchor for our soul in troubled times. So three lessons this morning that we want to look at of the life, death, and resurrection of Christ, reawakening to it, and how he is the anchor for our souls. First lesson is this. Jesus lived with us so that he could relate to us in our uncertain times. Jesus lived with us so that he could relate to us in our uncertain lives. Hebrews chapter 2, verses 10 through 18. I invite you to follow along as I would read that, and then we'll walk through that passage together. It says, In bringing many sons to glory, it was fitting that God, for whom and through whom everything exists, should make the author of their salvation perfect through suffering. Just think about that for a moment. <laughs> that God, in the person of Jesus, would be made perfect through suffering. Verse 11, but the one who makes men holy, Jesus, and those who are made holy, you and I, are of the same family. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. He says, I will declare your name to my brothers in the presence of the congregation. I will sing your praise. This is Jesus singing this to the Father. This is Jesus declaring this to the Father. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, he says, here am I and the children God has given me. Verse 14, since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity so that by his death, he might destroy him who holds the power of death. That is the devil. And to free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. For surely it's not angels he helps, but Abraham's descendants. For this reason, he had to be made like his brothers in every way in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people because he himself suffered when he was tempted. He is able to help those who are being tempted. There's lots that we could look at in this passage, but couple of key thoughts as we think about Jesus living with us so that he could relate to us in our uncertain lives. And the first is that Jesus' earthly life connected him with us relationally. Just think of the concept that he calls us brothers and sisters. That he is our older brother. And that he has called us the children of God, his children. We've come to him. We're family. We're of the family of God. God has sent his son so that we might connect with him through the person of Jesus Christ and the ministry of his spirit, connect with him relationally. This is not some religion that we're just going motions. This is an encounter personally in a relationship with God through Jesus Christ manifested by the Holy Spirit. This is personal. It's relational. And so Jesus' earthly life, his coming, connects us with him relationally. But Jesus' earthly life also connected him with our own suffering and weakness. He has experienced, look at verse, 14, or look at verse 18. Because he himself suffered when he was tempted, 
he is able to help those who are being tempted. He took on flesh and blood. He experienced everything that we experienced so that he would become familiar with our sufferings and with our temptations. He knows what it's like. There is nothing that you and I go through that Jesus cannot say, I've been there and I've done that. I've walked this life. I've walked among the mess. God is not a God who sits in an ivory tower somewhere and says, okay, figure it out, guys. He sent his son in the person of Jesus into our mess. He took on our suffering. He took on our weaknesses. And because he did, he is able to minister to us. He is able to comfort us. He is able to come alongside of us because he knows what we are dealing with. In times of uncertainty, whether it's trouble or fear, being tempted to give into these things and despair, we have one who is familiar. We can be assured that Jesus is sympathetic to our weaknesses and that he is perfectly comfortable walking alongside us in our troubles. He's not afraid of our pain. He's not afraid of our temptations. He's not afraid of our fears or our anxieties or our worries. He's not afraid of any of it. He comes alongside us. So much so that the psalmist says in Psalm 34, 18, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted and he saves those who are crushed in spirit. He's close. The ministry of Jesus makes it possible and through the Holy Spirit, the ministry of Christ comes through to us. In the previous place of ministry that we were in Emporium up in north central PA where they're getting ice and all that nasty stuff today. There was a a ministry that developed over time in the life of the church where a number of folks who were dealing with drug addiction began to come to the church. And there was a couple who had come out of drug addiction. And so they started this ministry to those who were seeking to overcome addiction. And I learned very early on that my role was to support, to encourage, and to pray because I could not come alongside of them and say, hey, I understand what you're going through. But there were that couple and there were a few others who had gone through addiction and had overcome through the power of Christ and they were able to come along and say, I understand what you're going through. And they were able to walk alongside and they were able to say, listen, I found the way out and the way out is Jesus because Jesus ultimately is the one who understands what it's like. And Jesus ultimately is the one who knows how to deliver, who knows how to comfort, who knows how to encourage, who knows how to strengthen. And so it's Jesus. And so there was great ministry that was done through these individuals because they were able to say, I understand what it's like. But there's one who understands it even more, and he has the power to help, and it's Jesus. So if we need people in our lives who really understand to be able to come alongside of us, how much more do we need Jesus who fully understands? This is the hope that we have, and this is where we get our anchor for our soul when we understand that Jesus left the glory of heaven, took on our weakness and our suffering 
so that he would understand what it is like, so that he can minister to us, relate to us, and comfort us in the midst of our uncertainties and our troubles. First lesson, Jesus lived among us so he can relate to us. Second level, the lesson, Jesus sacrificed himself in order to secure our heavenly future. Jesus sacrificed himself in order to secure our heavenly future. If you're in Hebrews 2, just a few pages towards the back to Hebrews 9. Hebrews 9, verses 11 through 15. Hebrews 9, 11 through 15 says this. When Christ came as high priest of the good things that are already here, or some translations said, say that are to come, He went through the greater and more perfect tabernacle that is not man-made. That is to say, not part of this creation. He did not enter by means of the blood of goats and calves, but he entered the most holy place once for all by his own blood, having obtained eternal redemption. The blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkled on those who are ceremonially unclean sanctify them so that they are outwardly clean. How much more then? Will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our consciences from acts that lead to death so that we may serve the living God? Verse 15, for this reason, Christ is the mediator of a new covenant that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance. Now that he has died as a ransom to set them free from the sins committed under the first covenant. Now, there's a lot going on here. And we want to look at three concepts that will help us understand what Hebrews 9, 11 through 15 is talking about and Jesus sacrificing himself in order to secure our heavenly future. And the first is that Jesus offered his own blood as a perfect sacrifice. In this passage in verses 11 and 12, there's this idea of Jesus as the high priest of the good things that are either here or yet are in the midst of coming. It says he went through a greater and more perfect tabernacle that's not man-made. That is to say, not part of this earthly creation. What in the world are you talking about? Well, here's what he's saying. In heaven is the tabernacle. (laughs) And the tabernacle on earth that the Jews would worship in, in the temple, was a replica that God gave to Moses instructions of how to build this temple so that what was in heaven could be on earth. So that as they would would worship God, as sacrifices would be made, it was as if by entering into this earthly, man-made, created earthly temple, it was a replica of what was going on in heaven. It's an incredible thought. And so Jesus does something in verse 12 where he says he did not enter by the means of blood and goats of goats and calves, but he entered the most holy place once for all by his blood, having obtained eternal redemption. The priests would year after year and day after day offer sacrifices on behalf of the people in the earthly temple, and God would allow it to count. He would count for it the sins of the people to cover it. But Jesus, he does something that goes way beyond what the earthly high priest and the earthly priest would do day after day. Instead of offering sacrifices of the blood of heifers and bulls and goats and calves and all these kinds of things, Jesus offers himself. Jesus offers himself on the cross as a sacrifice of atonement, which is 
It's a covering over, the sin covered over with the blood of an animal. Jesus, the Lamb of God, offered himself so that his blood would cover the sins of the people. But when he offered his sacrifice, he didn't go into the earthly temple. He went into the heavenly temple. You see the difference? The things on earth are temporary. They have to be done over and over and over because the blood of bulls and goats cannot fully forgive. But the blood of Christ, the blood of Christ shed for our sin, offered in the heavenly tabernacle makes our sin covered over perfectly. We'll see in a moment once for all. Jesus didn't enter the earthly tabernacle with the blood of animals. He entered the heavenly with his own blood. Praise the Lord. Praise Jesus. So that by his death, we are redeemed. By his death, we are Redeemed, we are bought back to God with a price, the price of the blood of Christ. Verses 13 and 14, again, the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkled on those who are ceremonially unclean, sanctify them so that, look at what it says, so that they are outwardly clean. Outwardly. How much more than, verse 14, will the blood of Christ who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our consciousness, consciences from acts that lead to death so that we may serve the living God. You see, the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of heifers, they cleansed outwardly, they sanctified, they set apart, they made holy before God to be able to serve him outwardly. But Jesus' work does this. He redeems us, brings us back to himself, and he cleanses our consciousness. He takes us and redeems us and makes us new. So that now, instead of just covering over, over, and over, and over the things that we've done, he now changes who we are. So that now we begin to say no to that and yes to the ways of God. So that now the patterns of the old life begin to lose their power because of what Christ did on the cross. And we are set free to a new life. We sang about the, in his freedom, I am free this morning. It's in the freedom of Christ that we find our freedom. So our lives should be continually moving towards less of the old way and more of the new when the blood of Christ has touched us, when the salvation of God through Christ has redeemed us. We are not just doing what we did and coming back to be forgiven over and over and over. We are transformed so that we are becoming more like him and the ways of the old life are becoming less and less and the ways of Christ are becoming more and more in our lives. The blood of Christ sanctifies us, cleanses our conscience. It's not just an outward thing. It's an inward thing that the Holy Spirit does through the work of Christ. And verse 15 tells us, For this reason Christ is the mediator of a new covenant, that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance, now that he has died as a ransom to set them free from the sins committed under the first covenant. Jesus now is the mediator of this new covenant of redemption. The mediator is the go-between. The mediator is the one who stands for The mediator is the one who stands before the Father on our behalf. Jesus, the Son of God, who by his death stands before the Father and says, no, they're innocent. (laughs) They're clean. 
Jesus, the mediator, is the one, as the great high priest, who the Father now sees us through in his perfection and his perfect sacrifice. He is the one who stands for us. He is the mediator of this new way that we no longer have to offer sacrifices of animals, that he is the one who mediates and the one who stands for and administrates this new way in Christ. Friends, I want you to know that because of the finished work of Christ on the cross, our future is more certain than our present. Our future is more certain than our present. I don't know what's going to happen in the next 10 minutes. I don't know what's going to happen this afternoon or tomorrow or the day after that. I don't know. But you know what I know? I know that the future that Jesus has secured for me is certain. And that certainty is heaven. That certainty is when this life is over, that is my residence. And that he is going to come back to make everything right based on his work. And so when we face uncertainty in the here and now, and I know this can sound like, oh, that's kind of just a cop-out. But when we're facing uncertainty in the here and now, you have to have something to hold on to. And you may try and control things. You may try to make things work. And you may have all the self-talk in the world that you can have. But there's only one thing that is certain, and that is Jesus and his work. And knowing what is to come gives us hope for right now. It gives us the ability to say, chaos is around me. My life is so uncertain. I don't know what today or tomorrow holds, but I know who holds me, and that is Jesus. And so he is the anchor for our soul. He is the one who holds us and who who makes, because of our future being certain in him, it gives us hope for today. The old hymn, Because He Lives, I Can Face Tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. Because I know, I know, I know, he holds the future. Life is worth the living just because he lives. It's his life and then his death that gives us hope and is an anchor for our soul. Third lesson. Jesus was resurrected in order that he might support us in our uncertainties today. There's lots of reasons that he was resurrected. But as we look at this as an anchor for our soul, Jesus was resurrected in order that he might support us in our uncertainties today. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 12 to 14, and I want us to look first at verse 11 so you understand verse 12. Hebrews 10, beginning in verse 11. Day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties. Again and again, he offers the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when this priest, talking about Jesus, had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins on the cross, he sat down at the right hand of God. Pay attention to that. We'll come back to that in a second. Since that time, he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool because by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. Jesus' sacrifice was singular 
because it fully satisfied the requirements of our sanctification, of our being made holy. The priests, on their duty, never sat down. So imagine you're a priest, and your job is to offer sacrifices on behalf of the people, on behalf of yourself and the people. When you are on duty doing the ministry, you never sat down. You always were standing. The reason is because the job was never finished. There was always more sin to cover over, always more offerings to be made. There was always more because the people always were sinning more. But Jesus, by his one sacrifice, was different. His one sacrifice covered all the sins before, all the sins present, and all the sins future. Think of that. What needed to be done day after day after day after day so that priests never sat down, Jesus, in his offering of his blood on the cross, covered sin past, present, and for all the future of every person that will ever be on planet Earth who will ever come to him. That's incredible. So much so that when he offered that, he sat down. He was the first and the only priest that has ever or will ever sit down after offering his sacrifice in the temple. Because his work was perfect. It fully satisfied the requirements of our salvation, our sanctification, which is how we are set apart wholly unto God. And not only is Jesus seated, but he's alive. (laughs) And seated at the Father's side where he intercedes for us continually. That perfect work, he is now at the right hand of God the Father in heaven. Waiting for the day when the Father says, go get my children. Go make things right. Waiting for his enemies to be put under his foot. He's sitting there ruling and reigning, ascended, sitting at the right hand of the Father. His work finished. Always praying for, always interceding, always standing on our behalf before the Father. Dad, they need my help. I'm for them. I'm with them by my spirit. Dad, look. This is the work of Jesus now. Verses 19 to 25, it finishes and it says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus. Notice now we have confidence because Jesus has and he has sat down. We have confidence to come into the throne room of God. We're going to sing about that in a moment. We're going to come into his presence This is not like, oh, we go to the pastor and he's the one that does it. Anyone who is a believer in Jesus has confidence to enter the throne room of God because Jesus, the one who has offered that once for all perfect sacrifice is seated at the Father's right hand and is interceding for us as our mediator. And he says, yeah, come on in. Come on in. 
And for brothers, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, open for us through the curtain, that is his body. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, this is all Jesus, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we, we profess. Why? Why? For he who promised is faithful. He's faithful to his word and he's made the promise for us. So let us hold unswervingly to this hope we profess. Verse 24 and 25, remember these, we'll close making reference to these. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. See, Jesus remains faithful to us who have placed our trust in him. He's faithful. And so because he is faithful and he has been resurrected, he can support us in our uncertainties today. And so if you feel alone in your troubles, in your uncertainties, remember this morning that Jesus is alive. And that he is seated, work finished, at the right hand of the Father, interceding for us. And he sent us his spirit to be our guide. That what he is doing there in heaven, he is living out through his spirit among us. And he is our coming king who is ruling and reigning and one day will come and all of his enemies will be put under his feet. And he will make all things right. He's present now by his spirit and he's coming again. You see, Jesus endured much suffering on our, on our behalf. He loves us enough to endure the storms with us and to help us through them. But there's a point of decision for us. All of this is true, and all of this is available to us. And sometimes we get frustrated, oh, why isn't this true? May I ask a question? Have you made a choice? And that choice is whether you will trust Jesus or whether you will try to do this on your own. We may know all of this is true. We may sing hallelujah, praise the Lord. We may come to church every Sunday. But are we on a daily basis, moment by moment, seeking to trust him for these things to be true, to begin to be enacted in our lives? And the way we trust Jesus is by leaning on him, pressing into him in the midst of difficulty. So as we close, three questions just to consider this morning. Three questions. The first, when challenges arise in your life, this is just a self-evaluation question. When challenges arise in your life, do you lean into or pull away from Christ? So what might this look like? Leaning into Christ will look like an increase in prayer. I'm leaning into prayer. I'm leaning because that's our connection with him through the Holy Spirit is prayer. I want to enter into his throne room of grace. I'm going to come into his presence knowing that our great high priest and mediator who has lived, who has died, who has been resurrected and ascended is at the right hand of the Father making intercession for us. I'm coming in there. I'm leaning in in prayer to him. So an increase of prayer. And I told you to make 
special note of verses 24 and 25 of chapter 10. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. Are you leaning into community, other believers? And it's great to come to church on Sunday. That's wonderful. But are you also then seeking, how do I lean into people who love Jesus and are serving them so that I can lean on them? Leaning into an increase of prayer and community in the midst of difficulty. Pulling away looks like an increase in anger, maybe. And fear and worry. And wah. And often, is, often looks like isolation. I pull away. I pull away from God. I pull away from people. So when challenges arise in your life, do you lean in or do you pull away from Christ? Second question, what area of your life do you feel is currently out of control? It may be areas. Or you know what? This may be a season where you're saying, you know what? I kind of got a peaceful moment. And if it is, lean into him anyway. (laughs) We don't just lean into him when we need him. We lean into him all the time. But what area of your life do you feel is currently out of control? And invite Christ into that area. Third question, what fears are keeping you from trusting Jesus right now? It's helpful then to, by living in the light to name your fear and to ask Jesus to help you overcome it through his power and his presence. We invite Jesus in, but then we also name our fear. This is where I feel out of control. Jesus, come in. This is what I'm afraid of because of being out of control. Jesus, I name it. Help me by your power and your presence to overcome it. Jesus said, one of, the great, one of the most often commands is fear not. And the way we fear not is to come into his presence. So questions to consider this morning. I just want to lead us in a few moments before the worship team would come. Just, let's just have a, a time of prayer together. And I'll pray for you, but I want this to be an opportunity for you to encounter Jesus. The one who is at the right hand of the Father interceding for us, His life and death and resurrection have made it possible. He's with us. He's in this room by his spirit. And so seek him. Invite him in. So let's go to prayer together. I'll just give you some prayer prompts as we focus on these questions and a few moments of ministry together. Jesus, we praise you. We honor you this morning as the one who by your life, death, and resurrection, that you are the anchor for our souls. You accomplished so much for us. Thank you for coming and living amongst us. You're familiar with all of our troubles. Your death has made the payment for our sin problem. We don't have to keep trying to pay it off. You've paid it for us. We praise you. In your resurrection, you have overcome it all. You've made us holy. You're making us holy. One day you will make all of this right. But until then, we thank you that you are with us. Your spirit is with us. And so we hold on this morning. As the scripture says, unswervingly, we're not going to go to the left and the right. We're gonna, we want to stay straight ahead. We hold on to the hope of Christ. We hold on to you, Jesus. 
We hold on to your truth and we hold on to you because you are truth. We praise you. And so as we consider these questions, if there is an area of your life that you currently feel that's out of your control, just individually and silent prayer before the Lord, would you just offer that before the Lord and invite Christ into that situation? Spend a few moments in that. when life is out of control we are tempted to fear but God you have said so many times to fear not for you are with us so spend a few moments now asking Jesus to help you overcome any fear or worry or anxiousness that would be associated with it not by your striving and effort, but by welcoming his power and his presence by his spirit. Jesus, by your spirit, you are in this place. And we just want to say together that you are welcome here. We long for you. We hunger for you. We honor and glorify your presence. I thank you that you are not one who is just here in the building. And when we leave, we go on our own. But that you go with us. You've always been with us. You promised you will never leave us or forsake us until the very end of the age when we will be with you forever. And so, Father, I bless your people this morning with awareness and the confidence of your presence, your abiding presence, Jesus that is not just in the church building, but goes with us wherever we go by your spirit. Increase our awareness of your power and your presence in our lives. We love you, Jesus. In your name I pray, amen.